0: It's not about the standards you preach. It's actually what you tolerate and holding your people accountable. And a lot of people say that. We accept nothing less than perfect. I think that's so stupid. Perfection is an illusion. We want to be perfect. Yeah, we always strive for that, but we accept nothing less than excellence.
1: That's Mike Sorelli, retired U.S. Navy SEAL, founder of the Vetted Foundation, and co-author of The Talent War. Mike served 15 years as an officer in SEAL Team 3 alongside Extreme Ownership co-authors Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. He joined Dan to discuss the lessons he learned about leadership and what it takes to perform at the highest level. This will be a two-part episode with part one focused on training and high performance. Dan, what should our audience be listening for in today's conversation?
2: I want them to really listen to high performance about resilience, ego, pride, ownership, the key attributes to becoming a high performer.
1: I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin,
2: and this is Breaking Sales, a non-conformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. I liked in the book, I I don't have, I think the terminology, right, but there was that program, uh, 18 times where you, you guys look at it from a, we're going to pull from the streets and we're going to pull based on character and we're going to train them all the skills.
0: So yes, it's called the X, the 18 X-ray program. Um, and so this, you know, this is this was stood up by the Army Special Operations community, specifically for the Special Forces community, which some people may know as the Green Berets. And there was heated debates. And when we were interviewing General Jerry Boykin, really one of the you could say founding members of Delta Force, who was in charge of the U- the U.S. Army Special Operations community at the time, there 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 were heated arguments. Of there were camps that thought you had to have prior. Experience in the military in the infantry for a few years before you should apply to special uh, forces. And ultimately, as they looked at the data from Vietnam, there were a lot of guys that were taken into the military and thrown right into Vietnam to learn the job of being a Green Beret over in Vietnam without going through a formal school. And as they did research and they checked their ego and their emotions, they looked at the data and it said that actually they get a better candidate off the street who has no bad habits as long as they have all the attributes that they're looking for.
2: It's so true. The clients that we coach and teach and many of the businesses that we meet with, they are always looking for industry experience and they prioritize it. And then when they bring the individual over, they scratch their heads more often than not and go, Why isn't this individual paying off? We're paying extra top dollar for them. Why isn't this person performing like it says on their resume? So can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Again, you go back to the 18x program of somebody that starts special forces training that maybe had six years in the army versus somebody that's fresh off the street. Um, As long as they have the attributes that you're looking for, you're ultimately going to hire for attitude and mindset. Not what they've done before. Um, you know, Herb Kelleher, founder and CEO of Southwest, said it. He said it best we hire for attitude and mindset. We can train the skills. And that's ultimately what you want. Now, you look at it. Um, why special operations? We call it assessment and selection. For the business world, assessment and selection just means hiring. The special operations hiring process is designed not to be sadistic. Uh, it's actually designed to push people to their edge, and that's ultimately what you want to try to do as uh, best as possible during an interview process within legal means. Is sort of apply pressure to people because when you apply pressure and you push people to their limit, that's when true character emerges. So you may have a CEO who has you know 15 years of experience but has never been truly tested. And look at the environment we're currently operating in with COVID. There was a lot of leaders that didn't know how to handle this crisis. Again, General uh, Jerry Boykin refers to this, and this is a common phrase within the military. We look for extreme character in our candidates because they constantly operate in a VUCA environment. VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And that defines the environment that we operate in a daily basis. So you need people of rock solid character that are going to remain emotionally intelligent in chaotic situations to lead the team and drive results. Industry experience is just not a, an indicator of that. It, you do use it in the evaluation process. Ultimately, what you want to look for, you're looking less at what they've done and more at the the, the story that, that they've incurred the, the failures, the successes, how they've learned, how they've developed as a human, how they've developed as a leader, not just five years of marketing experience.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's no question our listeners, they're, they're enthralled probably Mike with like your background and the training and the discipline And everything that you and your team has been through um, on such a high level. One of the things I I took from the book is, you know, about testing for the physical part, the emotional part, and the mental part. And you talk about knocking people down and seeing how they respond. I think that's fantastic. I think the challenge is though, and I'd be interested in your perspective, is that I wish there was more of that in the business world. You know, we don't start to improve until we reach the, the limit or the edge of our comfort zones. But there's just not enough of it in the business world. Can you share a little bit about on, on your thoughts on that?
0: You, you know, as a society, we always need to be balanced. And I think we've gone a little too far to one side of the spectrum that, uh, you know, we're trying to create these cultures that are, quite frankly, you know, we, we hide behind the words diversity and inclusion. Our people only grow if we constantly put them under periods of stress and pressure and then help them learn from that. It's just a repetitive cycle. Pressure, what did we learn from that? How do we improve? Put them under pressure again. It is the heart of what makes special operations so special. Not only is our hiring process sound, and let me, for for all the listeners, that special operations assessment and selection process, that hiring process, has evolved over half a century. And guess what? Dan, it's still evolving as is required to secure victory from, from the hands of our future enemies. And what uh, made a good special operations soldier in, in the global war on terror is going to be different what, than what makes a great special operations soldier uh, 10 years from now. And we've constantly got to identify the needs of that future ecosystem and, and what attributes are required in each uh, each of our operators.
2: So true in sales too. I mean, what made a great sales professional – just 15 years ago is not the same today. And there has to be this disciplined, purposeful view of evolving and how do I get better? You know, one of the things I was thinking about, Mike, is this whole, the whole buds thing. If you can explain to our listeners a little bit, there's a bell. And when, when someone's had enough, they got to step up and they get to ring the bell three times. Correct.
0: That, that is correct. And we call that uh, self-selection, when people drop on requests, it's called DOR. Very rarely do we drop people from the interview process. People exit themselves.
2: What's fascinating is the training that you guys have set up that you've been through allows for that self-selection. A company can invest 100000 half a million, a million dollars into training their people. But... That person can still opt out of the training and technically not lose their job and keep their job. So can you share a little bit about your thoughts about what you see some of the more advanced evolving businesses are doing to create high performance cultures? Who was
0: it? I'm I'm forgetting the bell that referred to it as uh, you have to create an intentional culture. And that starts with the leadership. Um, first off, let let me, let me say this before you're ever going to start building a world class talent acquisition program, you better have a world-class rock solid leadership foundation. Because if you do not, if you do not have strong leadership, at the top filtered all the way down, if you get great talent in the door, they're, they're going to leave good, good talent, great talent does not put up with bad leadership. So, you know, this, this book in particular, the talent war is about the first piece there's going to be a second book. I can assure you that. And that's going to be on the talent management piece that you're discussing. And we talked about it in chapter 10. Um, you can't hire or fire your way to success. The talent management piece is so hard and so important. And it starts the second that person signs the, uh, the offer letter. You have to be intentional about your culture. You have to understand uh, what you stand for. And then you have to reflect that in your behaviors. Ben Horowitz wrote a great book about this. It's not what you say. It's what you do. Most companies have this, these flowery uh, words up on the wall that talk about integrity and doing the right things. And then you end up with a Goldman Sachs scenario where they're robbing the little guy and taking care of themselves. But if you look at their, their values, their, their actions were absolutely in violation of what they say they stand for. So I, I'm interested when you say people are spending this much money on leadership development programs. I'd be interested of the size of the company and how they're they're, they're conducting that training as a whole. And and I don't want to make again, bad uh, sort of accusations here, but a lot of companies don't know how to train their people. They just don't the military, the military at the end of the day is a leadership development program. In fact, it's the preeminent leadership development program in the world. That's all we do. It is, the, the, okay, you look at Bootcamp or Marine OCS or, or OCS as a whole, it is a cultural assimilation. It's the longest onboarding process. And we're trying to reinforce behaviors, trying to break people of old habits and reinforce new behaviors and, and having them understand what's acceptable and unacceptable in, the, in this organization and what's required for, uh, for victory. Organizations just are not good at training people. Uh, I don't think there was a single course in my MBA program uh, about talent management or how to train your teams. So you don't have to spend millions uh, of dollars in the second book. And we talk about it in this one. It talks about just simple techniques that the military uses like after actions. We're constantly coaching and mentoring our people. We do an after action after every training evolution we conduct and especially every mission we do overseas. It's, it's, it's mandatory. It's not optimal. And when I come and talk with companies, hey, are you guys doing after-action uh, reviews or debriefs? The answer is usually no, and some people don't even know what that is. That is the single most important tool to accelerate, to continually accelerate your people, help them learn from their mistakes as well as yours, and, and provide personal feedback so that every single person is improving in the uh, the team. Henry Ford said it. You know, somebody said, uh, "What if we train our people and they leave?" Henry Ford looked at them and said, "What if we don't train them and they stay?" it is is your solemn duty as a leader to pour into your people. And yes, guess what? Some people will leave the organization. But if those people go on to be successful outside of the walls uh, of your business, it will ultimately come back to reflect on your organization and and the effort that you put into people, the emphasis you put into your people.
2: So before you go into buds, are there a lot of assessments that are done to kind of see what a person's character and behaviors might be
0: there there are it is a multivariate interview process um special operations yes they they absolutely uh look at data in fact brian decker one of your, your past shows i mean he revolutionized special forces assessment and selection he came in and, and looked at the data that they were utilizing which showed no predictive value and he had, he had to change a lot with the uh, the, the process our main contributor that's on the cover. Dr. Josh Cotton is an IO uh, psychologist, industrial organizational psychologist. And actually out of his doctorate, he was hired by the Navy SEALs to come in and assess and, uh, assess how we hire people into the SEAL community. And he designed some assessments uh, to assist with predictive value of who's going to make it through and who's not. Ultimately, it is the one process that no test can ultimately determine if somebody's going to make it through or not. And in fact, in the book, we we talked about this. Dan is instructors uh, quit trying to guess who's going to make it and who's not because you can't see talent. You can't see talent. You know, we always we always used to think like when the NCAA football player or the Olympic athlete, and we get plenty of those, comes through SEAL training. We're like, oh, those those guys are going to easily make it. They're they're going to crush this training, and they're usually the first ones to quit. And I'm not joking, you. I had guys that did speech and debate in high school, and after Hell Week, they're standing there smiling. Small little guys, but there was just no quitting them. They, they were some of the most resilient people that had just, you know, uh, incurred uh, setback after setback in life. They were used to getting knocked down, getting back up, learning from it, and, and driving on to to drive results. And that's exactly what businesses are looking for.
2: So you tested for the character and the behavior. At the beginning, and then you have the physical part, and I'm sure there's a lot of tests that go on. Period in the story, but is the physical part of buds to see how your character traits actually show up? Is that what is that part of it?
0: it, it so the physical portion is a means to ultimately apply pressure to the mental portion. Is we're trying to induce fatigue. We're robbing people of their sleep. In Hell Week, they get, I think, of the, the five days, they get a combined two hours uh, of sleep. So your mind will break well before your body does. Your body is absolutely resilient. And, and if you look at again at Hell Week, which for the listeners is five days of scientifically orchestrated pain, they don't sleep for, for, for five days. Again, they, they, they get two rest periods, one hour each. And we just push them to the edge. They're constantly cold. They're constantly wet. They're constantly sand- sandy for those five days. They're carrying boats on their head in teams of six to seven. Uh, the boats weigh about 200 pounds. They're doing obstacle courses. It just never stops. And ultimately, it's to, to, to push that, that, that mental limit. Because again, it's at one's limit that true character emerges. It, it, it's the mental component. It's not the physical component. Um, we can teach somebody how to run uh, faster. We can teach somebody how to swim better. We can teach somebody how to how to lift more weights. We're not looking for the strongest man. We're not looking for the fastest runner. We're not looking for the fastest swimmer. We're looking for that person that has the mental toughness, regardless of how they look, that will persevere through anything.
2: right. you're you're trying to see how their character traits and when their character traits show up and if and if they even do,
0: Exactly. The true learning doesn't take place until you're pushed to your limits. It's it's the same thing with character. If you put somebody in a a very safe environment, a very controlled environment, you don't apply pressure and they're a big personality, they may fool you during the, the interview process. And, and that, that likability factor may come in because they're, again, a big personality. Uh, they're winning you over. That doesn't work in our interview process. We have a way of eliciting the behaviors what we want to see. Ultimately, what are, what are CEOs and business leaders trying to do? They're trying to match behaviors into certain roles. Look at it that way. If you stop judging the person on their on their big personality or the personality as a whole, and judge them solely on their behaviors, and if that fits the required attributes of the role, even with that realization alone, you'll start to make better hires.
2: Can you share a little bit maybe about what you learned about yourself when you went through the BUDS training?
0: You, you know, my situation is unique that I was a recon Marine. Uh, I was actually in the Marine Corps before I joined the uh, SEALs for five years. So recon is the Marines version of special operations. I was also a scout sniper. Um, and then I, I went to a Marine OCS. Uh, you know, not, not being braggadocious here, I, I pretty much finished Honor Man. Out of from, from Marine Corps boot camp to Marine OCS in, in every course I attended, with the the exception of one. I attended a lot of courses. I, I thrived in this environment. Um BUDS, there there was no way I was gonna fail BUDS. One, I was representing the United States Marine Corps. I was representing the US Marine Recon community, and there was no way I was gonna embarrass them. Uh, you know, I was not happy that I was gonna have to go through a year process to to get into a new community, but that was a task ahead of me. So what I focused on is knowing that for the first time, this was you know the, the first time for ninety nine percent of the uh, students that they had undergone an assessment and selection program, and I'd already gone through many. Was I, I, I led, and so it was. If I learned anything, uh, it, it was successes and, and failures as a leader in that environment. Um, but even the instructors, you know, very much said it. Uh, you know, the guys gravitated towards me, and so I found a lot of uh, motivation an inspiration in the guys around me, and trying to lead and help them as many of them realize their potential and make it through the training.
2: Do you think because of your background, do you think that they were tougher on you at times? Um. Yeah, you know they
0: did. I, I think they had higher expectations. You know, I was already combat dive qualified through through the Marine Corps. You know, tactics I, I knew basic. Uh, you know, land warfare tactics and, and, and some you know CQC which is close quarters combat. So I think they had an expectation, but quickly they they saw that I wasn't somebody they needed to, to totally focus on. And uh, in fact, at one point, they, they told me to pull back uh, from leading uh, so that they could evaluate the uh, the other officers. There was one day though, post-Hell Week, where my body fatigue just totally set in. And I talked about this in the book. I, I've climbed ropes since day one in the Marine Corps. Uh, pretty good at it. And you have to do a lot of rope climbs in, in buds. And so post how week, my body was so fatigued. I, I don't know why. Maybe it was a lack of uh, nutrition, uh, dehydration, but I could not get up the rope one day. And all the students had gotten up the rope and, and there's Mike Sorelli not getting up the rope. And so I, I, I would fall off the rope. I would get back up, try to climb the rope, make it five feet and fall back off. And so the instructor saw that this was my limit. And so like sharks, like blood in the water, they, they sort of uh, came around me saying, hey, Israel, you got to get up that rope. Hey, Like, and so they started applying pressure. And of course, it, it worked because now I feel like all the eyes of the students that have already climbed the rope who know me, know I'm capable, are, are looking at me as well as these these four instructors like in a circle around me. And, you know, they kept pushing like, hey, Srell, if you don't get up that rope, man, we're, we're going to have problems. And the process went back and forth. I'd fall back off. I'd get back up. And eventually they said, hey, 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 okay. And they pulled me to the side. And the instructors actually explained it to me. They're like, hey, man, uh, you, you're okay. We, we've seen you climb that rope, you know, hundreds of times. We wanted to see what you would do if we applied pressure. We, and this happens. We wanted to see if you would quit and ring the bell post-hell week. And some people some people do. And eventually, they, they, you know, they got me to medical uh, to get an IV and get some food in my system. But uh, if anything in Buds, that sticks out. It was I, I was just so embarrassed. And it was that embarrassment that actually started to play with me mentally.
2: You're doing something you've always done exceptionally. And then this one day you're struggling with it. And then you're feeling the heat that you're putting on yourself. And you're feeling the heat of all the the, um, the coaches and the trainers there. They're putting the heat on you. So how did you kind of work yourself through that mentally after it was all said and done?
0: Dan, that's that's a great question. Let me start with this. The instructors at BUDS or SEAL training, much like the instructors at all the rest of the special operations assessment and selection courses, are usually amongst the best from our community because they are people that the students want to aspire to become when you have A players leading the assessment and selection, A players select A players. But if you have B players, if you have, you know, mid performers from the SEAL teams in charge of, who, you know, selecting the next generation in the SEAL teams, you're going to get a bunch of B and C players. So how did I get past that? Yes, the embarrassment was, it was like, it was like a, a, a tangible weight on my shoulders. And I, as I was in medical, I remember this, and I won't use his name because this guy still may be active duty. Uh, God bless him, came in and said, hey, like like a good leader who, you know, watches one of their people uh, fail, steps in, coaches mentors and helps them understand and learn from that experience. And he came in checking. He's like, how are you doing? I'm like, hey, good, man. I'm like, hey, you know, I can climb that rope. He's like, hey, hey, hey." we all have points in our career and this is going to happen a lot more. And what I want you to learn from it is failure is part of the process. We know you can climb that rope. And again, he reinforced why they applied pressure. They just wanted to see what behaviors came out of that. But he began to tell tell me about his time in the SEAL teams and all the times he had failed. But it, without those failures, he would not have be, become the SEAL that he is today. And that guy saw a lot of combat and went on to lead a lot of people in combat. And so, again, the, you know we're not just yelling at students uh, during special operations assessment and selecting. It, it's also there's a portion of training where they're developing future leaders. And he knew I was going to get into the SEAL teams and he wanted to help me learn from that process and become a better leader.
2: One of the things that I starred from your book, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it more because it's so relevant, I think, in any good business training, whether it's sales training, leadership training, is you said good training does not produce SEALs. It reveals them. And I, I, I wrote that down like three different times. Going, that's it. I said, good training does not produce great sales people. It reveals them. So, can you tell, talk a little bit about that?
0: It, it, it consider it part of the assessment and selection uh, process. Even though we've we've screened people through, let's say we've made a, <laughs> uh, a hire. Training is mandatory. Coaching and mentoring is mandatory for all people. You know, we like to, we had a, uh, a saying in, in special operations you are always being assessed. Even if you've been in this organization for 10 years, you are being assessed as to whether you are still curious, you're still hungry to train and get better, and if you're going to provide value, if you're going to be a multiplier to this organization. Um, we saw it in the SEAL teams all the time. And again, it goes back to ego and complacency, where you constantly go through training. I don't care how long you've been in the SEAL teams; you are always going through training. And the second we identify that somebody's just sort of done, one, they're either wore out, or two, they, they think they have this figured out and they no longer need to train. That's 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 a, a hallmark where or, or, or a gate where we know we need to step in and, and uh, you know sort of counsel that individual. But um, that that's sort of the heart of that statement.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just the training and the program and everything that 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 you've developed to be able to make that statement. Um, I, I would love to see more of that happen in the business world, where it might be good training does not produce the leader; it reveals them. Things like that. That'd be really cool to see. You know, one of the other things that I know I talked about with Brian Decker, and he had mentioned it, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Is this idea of Keep expectations low, but standards high. Um, is that something that you guys have uh, through your training and everything, and through all your experiences? Does, is that something that has resonated through 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 your experiences throughout all this time?
0: You know, the reason Brian said that I'm, I'm going to guess here. And Brian is is much smarter than I am. Is that usually the tasks? The, the missions that we got within special operations, they were each unique in a way. They, they, it was not cookie uh, cookie cutter. And so we've had to come up with uh, you know innovative and, uh, ways to approach problem sets. And quite frankly, we didn't know how they were going to result. Uh, one thing about the special operations community that was unique is we sort of live by the mantra, test a little, learn a lot. And we never had the 100% solution to any problem set that the president gave us. So... Uh, That does not alleviate having a high standard for your organization. The thing about standards is it's not what you preach. It's what you tolerate. Let's be honest, Dan. I live in Texas. uh, I sort of consider myself a reborn again uh, Texan. Um, You know, we we use the term all hat, no cattle. A lot of people here are are all hat. They love to talk a big game. You know, I do this. I get up at 4.30 uh, in the morning every morning but if you go to their house at 4.30, they're asleep in bed. Uh, I don't care what you say you do. What I ultimately care about is what you say you're gonna do and you actually do it. Um, so, you know, it's not about the, the standards you preach, it's actually what you tolerate and holding your people accountable. We don't strive for perfection in the special operations community. And a lot of people say that, we, we accept nothing less than perfect. I think that's so stupid. I've never seen perfect on the battlefield, ever. It, every victory was so ugly, it wasn't even funny because the enemy gets a vote in every single plan that we came up with. And for every action uh, we we took on the back, uh, battlefield, the enemy had a reaction. And so it, it was like a slugfest in boxing. Just It just wasn't pretty, but we got it done and we won. So perfection is an illusion. And what Brian's saying is, you know, We want to be perfect. Yeah, we always strive for that, but we accept nothing less than excellence. And we always, always strive for perfection, knowing that we will never achieve it. And that's part of life. And that's why we keep expectations low and and we maintain excellence as a mantra within our community.
1: Dan, from this conversation, what did you pull personally as key takeaways?
2: You know, one thing that really resonated with me is this whole idea of great training. You know, two things Mike said, you know, when they're in the buds and they're going through training and development, you know, they call it scientifically induced pain. And the whole idea of the training and the process itself is that they build the process for people to self eliminate themselves that's their training process. They make it so that it truly tests the individual. And so when I reflect on that with the business world, that's so powerful if you think about it. Instead of just comping people on how much they sell and their revenue and if they hit their quota, what if training was a part of the process that they are judged, assessed or measured. Because there's so many people out there right now that just keep doing the same thing that they always do. And if you really wanna be a a high performance organization or if you really wanna be a leader that drives high performance, why wouldn't you make constant growth through training and development an expectation, a standard, that you as the leader promote. So I would love to see that happen more in the business world. So that's a big takeaway. I mean, you know, as we've talked about, you know, Mike said, you know, good training does not produce seals. It reveals them. I think that's so true for sales professionals. Good training doesn't produce sales professionals. It reveals them because either you opt in or opt out. In the business world, you can opt out of training. And what you're really saying, if you opt out of training, is that you're done growing. You're done getting better. Your ego has now taken over your decision-making, and you now tell yourself that you are good. And when you tell yourself you're good, you've now told yourself there's no need to spend effort, time, or commitment getting better. That's my biggest takeaway from all of this.
1: So, Dan, if I'm a sales professional or a sales leader listening to you talk about this, maybe in my head I'm thinking, well, we do sales training. You know, we are developing our people. My question to you is, what does that really look like in businesses? What, what could or should training be to help us develop our sales team?
2: Here's what I can tell you it shouldn't look like First. It shouldn't be that you're sending your people to two or three days of training and then you keep your fingers crossed. They come back from the training and you ask them a few questions about it and then that's the end of it. Because reality is your folks probably got intellectually stimulated, but they're probably not gonna do anything with it when they come back because it's gonna be so difficult for them to apply it and break their own comfort zones on their own. And if there's no support behind it, the training's eventually gonna fade out after a couple of weeks. Training should not be opt-in and opt-out either. If you're a sales leader and you're training your folks and you give them the option to opt-in or opt-out, anybody who opts out, you should be concerned about. And I know a lot of sales leaders will say, well, my top people don't wanna do it or my top guy or my top girl doesn't wanna do it. And so I'm not going to force them to do it. You really have to think about that. What your top person is telling you is that, number one, they have a fixed mindset. They don't have a growth mindset. Number two, that their ego now is in charge of their decision making. Their ego is telling them they don't need it. They're good enough. Everything's been fine. What they do works. As a sales leader, business leader, I'd be very concerned with that. And I think after you've heard the conversation I've had with Mike, I think hopefully it's given you something to think about.
1: Dan, we talked about what sales training shouldn't be. What are some of the best practices that you would say the most successful sales teams that we work with are doing?
2: I'll answer that, Kylie, from an organization standpoint, but I'm also going to answer from an individual standpoint, because some of our listeners might have the opportunity to receive training through their organization. But I also know some of our listeners have to decide on investing in themselves on an individual basis. So let's go to the organization side first. So as an organization, we're starting to see some businesses do a much better job at taking the methodology of the training. And number one, implementing it and making it a part of their CRM so that the language becomes consistent in the organization. We're also seeing some of these top organizations where they take the concepts of the training and then the sales leader or the business owner uses the concepts throughout their business reviews with each of the individuals that they're putting through the training. So The sales leader now, they use the language of the training in their one-on-ones. They use it in their performance reviews. So now what you're doing is you're seeing a consistency of methodology, language, expectations, and standards permeate throughout every week versus just the one time the training and development company like us shows up. There's something going on in between each one of the workshops and sessions that continues to support and promote the training. So that's on the organization side. On the individual side, we're starting to see a lot more people invest in themselves. And what we've seen is it typically comes now from the highest performers, where the highest performers now are the ones that are investing, the ones who are doing the best. They're the ones that are saying, I wanna get better. I need to get better because I think there is an acceptance to that now within the business community and maybe sometimes now it's become an expectation. What we've also seen though, even more so with a magnifying glass, is that the weaker performers are the ones who might need the training the most, but are less likely to actually invest in themselves. And they remain, unfortunately, the weaker performers. So the gap between the top performers and the weaker performers exponentially grows. I think Mike said it well. It's not what you preach within your business culture. It's more about what you tolerate. And I think that's what you have to ask yourself, both as an individual and as a business. What are you willing to tolerate as your standards? So are you willing to tolerate people opting out of the training that you've invested in? Or are you not willing to tolerate it? Are you willing to tolerate people not growing, not investing in themselves? What? Are your standards for yourself as a business owner and as an organization? Or what are your standards as an individual? Your activity increases congruent with your standards. So if you have a high standards of performance for yourself, your activity will align with that. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to make commitments and sacrifices and you have to work hard. And there's going to be plenty of days where, you know, you're going to get kicked in the teeth. But if you have a high standard for yourself, you're going to make your way through it.
1: What key takeaways do you think our listeners can walk away from this conversation with?
2: So as a sales professional myself, and I'm putting myself right in the front lines here, I think number one is invest in yourself. If you haven't invested in yourself already, go do so. But don't invest in yourself with someone or within a methodology or philosophy that's gonna be easy. Invest in yourself with someone or a methodology that's gonna test you, It's gonna push you. Remember, scientifically induced pain. It brings out the best in you. As Mike talked about, leadership is so important If you want to create a growth culture as a leader, are you buying into the excuses because you're afraid to challenge the person's status quo? You're afraid to challenge their thought process because it's so hard to get good people nowadays and you don't want to lose your people. If as a leader, if that's your mindset, you're doing your organization, and you're actually doing the person on your team a disservice. A players attract a players.
1: Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's lappin one 8 And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?